WKNC 88.0, and welcome to our elections coverage edition of Eye on the Triangle. I'm your host, as always, Chris Chaffee. As you may or may not know, next Tuesday, the polls will open for an off-year election. Voters will be deciding on important city posts. City council, school board, and mayor are all up for re-election or election. Our small department was able to get up with two out of three mayoral candidates and a candidate running for school board in District 8. We also prepared a short story regarding the two bonds that are up for approval and a story about Occupy More Square, which you'll find out more about later. So stay tuned for that. But first, we're going to do weather with meteorologist Katie Costa. Thanks, Chris. Well, today we saw a beautiful sunny day across the triangle with temperatures in the 70s. And the good news is, is that we will continue to see the sunny 70s trend for the remainder of the week and weekend, thanks to a nice high pressure system building in place over our region. Tonight, we will cool down to 47 degrees, though, so be sure to have a light jacket with you if planning on heading out. Tomorrow, we will get up into the upper 70s with sunny skies, and tomorrow night, we will be slightly warmer with a high of 50. Thursday will be sunny once again with a high of 75, and it looks like Thursday night will be our coolest evening this week since we will drop off to a chilly 45 degrees. Friday will be slightly cooler with a high of 73 degrees, but still expect a beautiful sunny day. Now, it will be chilly once again Friday evening, so be sure to dress warm if you're planning on heading out Friday night. Now, this weekend, expect it to be sunny and gorgeous with highs in the upper 70s and lows in the upper 40s. It doesn't matter if you're planning on heading west to the mountains or east to the beaches this weekend because we are going to be seeing beautiful sunny conditions across the entire state. If you want to see some fall foliage and go hiking this weekend, head to Grandfather Mountain because that is where the colors are most vibrant right now. So, Chris, I don't know about you, but I am so excited that we have perfect fall break weather to look forward to. I am actually looking forward to it as well. And now, how exactly did you find out that Grandfather Mountain has the best vibrant colors? I actually did some research on the North Carolina Foliage website. It says 2011 Foliage Update, and it said Grandfather Mountain is reporters that actually go out and do foliage. Ah, fascinating. Well, thank you very much, as always, for your... um, invaluable insight on the weather. You're welcome. All right. Now, in the past two years, the school board has been getting a lot of attention. New districting plans and frequent disputes between citizens and board members has made this year's elections very interesting. The chairman of the school board, Mr. Ron Margiata, is defending a seat that he has held for more than eight, that he has held for eight years, excuse me. The 73-year-old businessman did not respond to our requests for an interview. However, you can find more about his candidacy at his website, ronmargiata.com. His competitor, however, Susan Evans, was willing to come onto our show, and she spoke with our contributor, Jake Lingua. Susan Evans is a candidate running in District 8 for the Wake County School Board. Candidate Evans is an accountant and a mother of two who decided to run because she has grown concerned with the direction the Wake County public school system has been taking in recent years. She is the Democratic candidate running against incumbent Ron Margiota. I recently spoke with her over the phone about some of the current policies of the school board and her ideas for improving the Wake County public school system. How long have you lived here in Raleigh? I moved to Wake County in 1980, right after graduating from college, so I've been here for 31 years. What brought you here to Raleigh in the first place? Um, employment. Okay. What's kept you here? Why did you decide to stay in Raleigh? I think Wake County is a great place, and I've enjoyed being here for the last three decades and watching it grow and develop into a, a wonderful metropolitan area and obviously a great place to raise a family. So both of my children were born and bred in Wake County as well as attended Wake County Public Schools for their entire um, school career. What made you decide to run for the school council? Well, I 
I've, I've always been a volunteer in the schools and always had a lot of respect for Wake County Public Schools. And when the current school board majority took control two years ago in December of 2009, I began to hear stories on the news of things that they were doing that I thought were a little extreme, and I began attending school board meetings and just got really involved for the last two years and been advocating for better uh, policies and better governance from the board, and a couple of months ago decided to run for the office. Okay. Have you ever held elected office before? No, I have not. How do you think that your private sector experience has prepared you for elected office? You know, I think my background as an accountant and also having been a business owner in the area has uh, prepared me a great deal for this job because a lot of what will be involved is setting policy that governs the school system and on behalf of all the taxpayers and all the residents of the county, I know that I can make data-driven decisions. I'm a good common-sense thinker, and so my accounting background will certainly be valuable when it comes to maximizing use of our facilities and our funding. But beyond that, having been a business person in the area, I really understand the correlation between having a public school system with a great reputation and the economic prosperity that we've enjoyed in Wake County in recent years, and I want to see that great reputation of our schools continue. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that the Wake County has had a, a good reputation in many years. It has been seen as a model for other school districts to try and emulate how do you plan to ensure that the Wake County public school system retains a positive image? Well, first and foremost, I want to assure people that I will bring professionalism to back to the school board. I feel that some of our current members have not operated in a professional way. We haven't had collaboration at the school board table. We've had bullying behaviors. We have had rushed through decisions and things that weren't well thought out. And so I just want people to know that I will earn the community's respect because I will be a common sense decision maker who's interested in building consensus with my other board members. Additionally, I certainly think that the policies that Wake County Public Schools has had for the better part of the last 30 years to work towards keeping all the populations in our schools balanced has been a very positive thing. Mm -hmm. And so I will work to encourage those policies. I, I believe in our magnet school program, which has been a wonderful way that has helped us balance the use of our urban facilities in Raleigh and our overcrowding in the suburbs and has allowed parents some wonderful academic programs to participate in and that contributed to a large voluntary effort to keep all the populations in our school healthy so I support um, growing the magnet program, strengthening the magnet program, protecting it and any other innovative ways where we can continue to have uh, balance in our schools. So what do you see as the three largest issues currently facing the Wake County Public School System and the school board? Well, number one is probably our continued growth in Wake County. While it has slowed down significantly in, in the last couple of years due to the economic climate, we are, we are still growing. We've already added about 3,800 new students to our system this year, and so we still are going to be dealing with capacity issues. So we've got to plan in a very straightforward way for where we're going to accommodate all our students in the coming years. So I think that is the most important issue. Along with that is the decrease in funding that we're operating under the last few years thanks to the economy. And that is making it particularly difficult for us to meet the needs of our classrooms. And it's certainly going to make it difficult to meet the needs for expanded capacity. So I would say those two issues are the, the primary challenges for our school system in the coming years, but not challenges that can't be dealt with effectively by board members who are willing to 
work together and use data and, and use community input to formulate good solutions. Okay, so you mentioned one of my later questions. How do you plan to work with a potentially smaller budget while at the same time maintaining and improving the quality of education here in Wake County? Do you have any specific thoughts on that? Well, I think it's challenging for sure, but we do have to do everything that we can to try to support the classroom. Unfortunately, in this current year, we had to cut back on some of our salaries and time for our teaching assistants and for our assistant principals. We maintained most of our salaried teachers, but some contract positions were eliminated, so our classroom is suffering. I think, you know, I would be a number one advocate, first of all, with our county and state to get the funding as much as we possibly can get for our school system. I was disappointed this past spring as I sat in on the school board meeting where they discussed that the county commissioners were offering flat funding for the current school year that just started compared to the previous year. And one of the board members proposed a motion that we go back to the county commissioners and ask for at least level per pupil funding because we knew we were adding another 3,000 students to the system this coming year. Mm -hmm. And I was very disappointed that the current board majority voted no to go back and ask the county commissioner for that additional funding. And I believe that as school board members, it's my responsibility to be the number one advocate for the students and for the teachers to get the resources that we need. We will have to work smart with our money. One of the most important ways to do that is to continue to encourage these policies that I mentioned earlier that help us utilize all our schools to the fullest. And if we were to go to some of the scenarios that have been circulated in the last couple of years where we would go to more of a neighborhood school type pattern, we would end up with a situation where our inner city schools would be underutilized and our suburban schools would be bursting at the seams even more than they are. So that's not an efficient use of our money. And so that's one of the few things that we can control to some extent is making sure that we're balancing out the use of our facilities. So I'll work very hard on that. We'll look very closely at where there's any fat we can trim in the administrative side of things. I don't believe there's a lot, but I think we'll just have to do the best we can. Okay. Are there any other particular issues that you see as a big problem for Wake County? The only other thing that I'm hearing from my community, which I represent the southwestern part of Wake County, is that they feel that we don't have strong enough programs throughout all of our schools, our non-magnet schools in particular, to support our academically gifted children. And we are blessed in Wake County to have a large number of bright, high-achieving students. And so I do think that's something that we need to look at, how we can strengthen our programs for our academically gifted children and just enrich our course offerings for all our students so that we're just preparing students as best we can with a 21st century education. So we have a good school system, but it's not everything that it needs to be in student achievement, and I want to work for that. Mm-hmm. Is there anything in particular that you would, you would hope to fight for for Southern Wake County if you were elected to the school board? Well, like I said, that, that would be the fighting to try to get enriched curriculum in the schools in this part of the county. You know, some of the schools feel like they don't have as strong of academic programs for the high achieving and and some of the academically gifted kids and so that is definitely a high priority for this district. Mm -hmm. Are there any final thoughts or comments that you'd like to make? Mostly that I just want people to know that I have been in the county a long time and like I said have children who've gone through the school system so I'm coming at this with just a genuine concern for the welfare of the students and for the community and I want to make the best decisions that can be made for Wake County as a whole and I have no political aspirations whatsoever and have never had a previous desire to 
hold a public office and basically have just decided to take this on because I think it's the right thing that I need to do for my community. And so I hope people will respect that and know that I promise to bring integrity and professionalism to my position. Well, Miss Evans, that's excellent. And uh, we really appreciate your time today, and we wish you well in the upcoming election. Thank you so much. Thanks, Jake. The other race we have covered for you is the mayoral election. For the last 10 years, Charles Meeker has been our mayor, and this time he decided not to run again. This has led to a three-way race. Nancy McFarlane, the Democrat from Raleigh, is running against Republican candidates Billy Redman and Randall Williams. Mr. Williams was the only candidate to respond to our requests for an interview, but we were able to get an interview with Ms. Redmond thanks to the crack team at the Raleigh Public Record. Unfortunately, we were not to get any, able to get anything with Ms. Farland, Ms. McFarlane, but you can find out more about the former city council member on her website, nancymcfarlane.com. Let's start with the interview with Mr. Randall Williams, and then we will hear from Ms. Billy Redmond. So if you could just give us an introduction to yourself first. Dave, thanks for having me. My name is Randall Williams. I'm an obstetrician gynecologist running for mayor of Raleigh. I've lived here since 1989, and my son is a senior here at State and plays for the Wolfpack in soccer. And if you could see me right now, I'm doing my favorite signal, which is Wolfie. I can do it with both hands, which is pretty good for a Chapel Hill graduate. All right. And uh, why did you decide to run for mayor? I think it comes from just the public service I've done here in Raleigh. I've been very involved in the community. I've also served overseas with the State Department. I've been to Iraq eight times and to Afghanistan and to Palestine, teaching obstetrics and gynecology and trying to develop democracy in those countries. So this is the first time I've run for political office, and my real interest comes from trying to get people to work together to solve problems. All right. Sounds good. What do you think are a few of the biggest issues facing Raleigh today? Well, Dave, interesting. I think all three candidates agree on that. The first is jobs and employment. You know, being students here, you're aware of the statistics of uh, jobs. Once you graduate, I think it's like 25% of people are finding jobs. And we've been fortunate here in Raleigh that we haven't had the downturn that other places have had around the country. But uh, we're not immune with the contractions in state government I think the kindest thing the mayor can do for citizens of Raleigh is to really attract jobs, grow jobs, help the businesses here get more jobs. Second big issue will be growth. We're expecting 200,000 more people here in Raleigh in the next 10 years and a million to the area. And with those come demands on water, transportation, education. So that's certainly up on our agenda. Picking up on the public transportation you mentioned, how are you interested in improving public transportation in Raleigh, and how do you think you could make it more accessible to students? Well, again, it's a great question. You are the largest university in North Carolina. You're somewhat compacted here, right here in the west part of the city, but you're spread out. I mean, obviously, housing, you know, can't all be right on campus. Most students live some distance away. All three candidates agree that as you bring in this 200,000 people and a million people to the region, you're going to have to rely more and more on public transportation, buses, light rail, commuter rail. The problem with that is is that all of those answers will be regional. The city council and the Raleigh mayor will neither decide that nor fund it. That's going to have to come from the federal government, the state government, and county government. So I think the specific answer to your question is, is mayor and with the city council – We're going to have to be very good partners in the planning of that. We won't fund it, but we'll help with the planning. Okay. 
recently Hillsboro and Glenwood South have undergone lots of changes. What other communities in Raleigh do you think need similar reconstruction or uplifting? Yeah, I think the one that comes to mind quickly is Southeast Raleigh. Big article in the News Observer today how crime has gotten better there. As part of my running for mayor and serving as mayor, I'm just a big believer that as a leader you have to serve up front. It's what we've done in Baghdad. And so I get up every morning at 545 and run through uh, Raleigh. Uh, I run through state campus some mornings. I run from Nash Square, which is right across from City Hall. And I spend a lot of time in Chavis Heights and southeast Raleigh because it gives me a feel for those issues as you run. And I think that the nicest thing we can do for that area is economic development. We need to get more businesses there. We need to get more services there. And so I think that's an area I want to focus on. But I do want to talk a little bit more about Hillsborough Street because in my 22 years here in Raleigh, I've always wanted Hillsborough Street to be the kind of place where after you win a national championship – You could just kind of pour onto the street. And again, I think it's more like that now than it ever has been, but I still would like to make it more a student place to congregate. I can remember when my son was was being recruited for North Carolina State soccer. I told the assistant coach at that time he'd won two national championships in high school with his club team and his high school team. And I said, my hope is, is that one day they'll have a celebratory national championship here during his four years. Hadn't happened yet, but he's still got one more season. So last question. Charles Meeker has accomplished plenty in the years since he took office 10 years ago. What project are you most interested in accomplishing during your tenure? Well, I think Charles is a great person to bring up to all the students here. You know, Charles's father was an ambassador and Charles grew up with an idea of public service, which I would really hope a lot of students here would emulate him. Y'all are the largest state university in North Carolina, one of the largest in the country. And, you know, Charles didn't start out to be a politician. He has served the city of Raleigh for 25 years as a city council person and 10 years as mayor. He'll tell you that he did not come into office planning to build a convention center and to develop downtown, that he was responding to a need. And I think that's what good leaders do. I think good leaders uh, often uh, listen to people and get a sense of what's needed and then go from there. So specifically to answer your question, I think the first thing is jobs and help with that, work with the chamber, work with the city council, work with city staff. Second thing is planning. We've got a comprehensive plan that goes till 2030, but we've got a United Development Ordinance that the next council is going to have to improve to guide that growth. The Dix property, all three candidates agree that that should be a park that would fit well right next to state, not to develop it, but develop around it, like Central Park in New York. And so I think those are the things that come to mind. I believe in this economy, it is not the time for grand building schemes, but certainly we've got to address the needs of the police department and the fire department. And at some point, we've got to get them into more functional, suitable homes. All right. And if you'd like to wrap up with anything else, go Wolfpack. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Billy Redman is one of two Republican mayoral candidates on the ballot. She is in management at a commercial real estate firm and strongly believes in the power of the private sector to help Raleigh grow and continue to thrive. Sony Ferrares of the Raleigh Public Record recently sat down and spoke with candidate Redmond. Why have you decided to run for office? 
I think this is the most unique time for the city of Raleigh. And as I travel for my work and I visit with people and I look at cities all across the United States, we are in the most enviable place of any city. I mean, there's very few cities that can really surpass what we have to offer anyone. Work, live, and play. And it's the reason we're on top of all the list. So I am um, opportunity and solutions, opportunity and challenge person. So here's the opportunity that we should be able to capture the very best things we want for our city. We should be the most competitive city in the United States. But then here's the challenge. Everybody wants what we have. And they particularly want our job growth and our stable market. So the competitive landscape has probably never been stronger. And that requires, I think, a very specific type of leadership. So for me, this decision is solely about leadership. Okay. What are the three biggest issues you think the city of Raleigh faces? And in 30 seconds or less, how would you address them? I have three things that are really my focus. One, jobs and the local economy. And I believe that the answer to that, quite simply, is economic development. That's a, a, a small two words to cover a plethora of things. Um, but I have a plan that absolutely that works around economic development. I think the second is the city needs to be more business friendly, which is one of the reasons I'm running. It's time for the business community to step up for leadership. We're the ones that create the jobs. We need to stop relying on the government to create them. We need to create them. And business needs to lead that process, and the city needs to be our partner. And the third is that there's never been a greater time that calls for fiscal responsibility. We cannot afford all the things we want. We have a lot. We have a lot to be thankful for. But we can't, we can't have it all now. And that requires discipline, and it requires setting priorities, and it requires being clear. And I think that there's a difference there between short-term decisions and long-term decisions. People are making short-term budget decisions to survive and to be stable. But you keep your eye on the future relative to long-term investments. Okay. What do you think is the best and worst decision that the current city council has made? I think from a best perspective, and this is a fairly controversial topic for a lot of people, would be the issue around the downtown investment. A lot of people across the city feel that too much of the city's resources have gone into downtown. I believe that to be a, a world-class city, to attract jobs, to really create a stable business environment, we have to have a vibrant downtown. Every time anyone comes to look at the region or Wake County, they go to downtown Raleigh. It's the seat of our city government, our county government, our state government. So we need a demonstration space. We need to be able to show people who we are uh, from, a, from a strong business perspective. And so I think the investments we made in downtown, which, by the way, are huge monetary investments. The city has spent a lot of money and created a lot of long-term obligations. But I think that they were... Um, I think they were the right investments, and I think we're beginning to see the private sector really leverage those. For me, it's always about the economic benefit. You know, if the city invested $100 million, we need to be able to show that the private sector stepped up and invested a half a billion dollars. And I think we can, and I think that's the right equation. Uh, worst decision? One of the worst decisions was that whole garbage disposal issue. That was embarrassing. That was beyond <laughs> embarrassing that our city council would be in the weeds at that level. What do you think are the most important issues that the city faces, and how do you plan to address it? Um, well, I think uh, balancing the short-term and the long-term priorities. Mm -hmm. um, the Leitner Center, huge topic of discussion today. 
There is no more essential service that the city of Raleigh provides than fire, life, and safety. And we have an excellent fire and police department. That needs to be a major focus for the investments we make. So how we make those decisions about getting the Leitner Center built, which I think I, I, I believe should be built, I believe we can build it. I think we can build it at a level that is prudent and that we can do it without a tax increase. So I think that's that balance. It's the balance between what are the priorities for the city, where should we be investing our money, and yet at the same time, how can we look at our citizens and say this was a prudent decision and it meets an economic model that mirror the fact that people are being conservative and budget conscious at home. The truth is, if we have jobs and people are employed, we grow the tax base, people pay taxes, the city has the resources that it needs and that it wants in order to provide the quality of life we have. If we would focus on making good business decisions and really keep our uh, business model working, we wouldn't have to take a million and a half dollars out of reserves to, to support the arts. When voters go to the polls next Tuesday, October 11th, they won't just be voting for new representatives in municipal government. They will also be voting to approve two bonds. Tamar Ender, a staff member for the Housing and Transportation Bond Referendum, breaks them down for us. It's a $40 million bond for transit and then $16 million bond for housing. Uh, when we break that up, transit means investment in greenways, um, bike lanes, bus shelters, as well as the new Union Station, um, and more square, um, different transit uh, opportunities. Both of these are um, investments for the next seven years. The housing part will be um, aid for first-time home buyers and also workforce housing. So since the median income in the city of Raleigh is quite high, uh, this will give opportunity for people who have um, historically have had to live in Clayton or outside the city of Raleigh and had to commute in because there hasn't been access to affordable housing. The housing part will also include, um, besides aid for first-time homebuyers, it will include tornado relief. So, yeah, just different um, aid. And uh, these are these are things, quality of life issues um, and investments that have always made Raleigh great. So we, we hope that uh, the citizens will vote for this and uh, continue the necessary investments that have made Raleigh great. Bonds can be a confusing concept for the average voter. Here's how they work. Basically, it's, it's a voluntary tax increase. So for $17 a year, the citizens would tax themselves for these investments to be done quicker. $40 million is a lot of money to spend on transportation. But Tamora claims it will do a lot for the city of Raleigh. It's important on a number of levels. First of all, um, it can allow us to increase... Um, opportunities for people to ride their bikes safely. Um, it's going to be investments in safe cycling infrastructure. Um, so greenways, which greenways are kind of like multi-use trails similar to the path beside Meredith. Um, it's completely separated from the road. Um, and also bike lanes. Um, so these these will give people an opportunity to make um, sustainable choices in their lives and, and help Raleigh to become even more sustainable. Here's where you can find out more information. Uh, we have a website called raleighbonds.com and a Facebook group, for, um, and which is called Raleigh Transportation Housing Bonds. We're organizing two different bike rides, both um, at 4 p.m. at the Bell Tower, and we're just, it's going to be First Friday style. Everyone's going to meet up, and then we're going to cruise down to the Board of Elections, which is uh, just right downtown across from the jail, right next to the courthouse. Um, 
and we hope to get as many as people as possible. And the goal isn't just to get people to vote, but also to to make a statement by how many people are there to show how many people care about these type of investments and how important this bond is for the city of Raleigh. So whether you support the bond or not, don't forget to have your voice heard. Vote next Tuesday, October 11th. For Eye in the Triangle, I'm Chris Chaffee. Starting September 17th, protesters began a series of demonstrations called Occupy Wall Street. Their actions have been centered around a core group of protesters, numbering in the hundreds, who have taken up residency in New York's Zuccotti Park. The group has assembled in order to protest corporate influence and private wealth on United States politics and policy. Their actions have also ignited discussions of socioeconomic diversity and the unequal distribution of wealth in the United States. Occupy Wall Street, now in its third week, has seen events springing up in solidarity across the United States from Asheville, North Carolina to Fargo, North Dakota, spilling into Canada, Mexico, and Europe. Each of these groups are working independent of one another and often call themselves Occupy, followed by the city of which they're engaged in. For example, the Boston group is called Occupy Boston. Supporters of actions taken by Occupy events believe that this is the beginning of a new social movement. Its critics, however, see it more as restless action taken by people suffering from anime. Seeking better understanding, I on the Triangle spoke with Stacey Borello, one of the activists helping Occupy Raleigh get organized. To start with, what is Occupy Raleigh? Occupy Raleigh is a grassroots movement. It has uh, three main components that we all believe in. First and foremost, this movement is about economic injustice, about remedying economic injustice. We're standing with the Occupy Wall Street movement on that point. The second important component of the movement is that it is a peaceful, nonviolent resistance movement. And the third component is it's a grassroots movement. We don't have a central leadership, which I think is what is exciting about this. Most of these groups are, across the nation are not personally in contact or organized by the Wall Street protests. We're inspired by them. And uh, we've all taken the initiative in our local areas to coordinate uh, movements to help mobilize the people in our areas stand up for economic justice as well. You've used the word we a few times. Who are you referring to? We. <laughs> when I say we, I, I mean the uh, the people who have joined together with the Occupy Rally movement thus far. Our community is growing very fast. As our primary point of contact right now is our Facebook group. We started that, I think, six days ago, and we're, we're up near 900 members now. Uh, so when I say we, I mean, I mean those people and, and also the specifically the people who attended our first General Assembly, which was held last night in Moore Square, which we had a turnout of a little over 100 people, very engaged, self-organizing people there. Sunday night you had your first meeting. What are you hoping to accomplish? Uh, That's a very good question. I think when you hear about this talked about in the media, almost all of the stories uh, end with the comment that the group is unfocused and doesn't have any concrete demands. Um, I'd say that that's not very accurate. I'd say that right now the group, uh, and I'm talking about the national movement, OccupyWallStreet.org has put out several communications. They are uh, the process of uh, using the General Assembly Democratic model to vote on a list of demands. I think there are around 10 or 12 demands right now. Uh, They're hoping to condense that to make it a concise and clear message. Most of them are focused on remedying economic injustice. Our group specifically, we will be holding a second General Assembly next Sunday night in Moore Square at 5 p.m. And at that time, we will talk about uh, what we want to put forward as our group's demands. I imagine that they will align somewhat with what the Occupy Wall Street movement is identifying as the national demands. And we might as well put forward a local demand. But we will 
It's uh, process and development, and uh, we will be deciding that as a group. To make this a little bit more detailed, to give examples of what the national movement is talking about and what the local people are interested in uh, supporting. One of the major demands is reversing this United States Supreme Court Citizens United decision, which was handed down last year. It gave the right of personhood to corporations and allows them to anonymously donate unlimited funds to political campaigns. And we feel that that is a violation of our democracy. It uh, takes more power out of the hands of the people, creates an environment where elected representatives are more likely to listen to the corporations that are funding them than the people who they represent. So that's one of the major demands. If this is a movement, why now? What's fueling it? I think what's really pulling this uh, together is the problem we have in this country with economic inequality, gross disparities in wealth distribution. The top 1% of Americans, they control 43% of financial wealth, and while the bottom 80% of Americans control only 7% of financial wealth. So that's 80 of 100 people sharing only 16% of what that one person controls. I've got some graphs here, which I know don't work well for radio, but uh, I'll talk just briefly about them. Um, over, over the last 30 years, we've seen a dramatic shift in the amount of wealth tra- traveling up, rising up to the top 1%, while the rest of the 99% of America has stayed stagnant or have, has fallen further behind. This data that's uh, compiled from Congressional Budget Office uh, statistics shows that uh, over the last 30 years, the top 1% has increased their average income from half a million dollars to $1.8 million per person. That's almost a fourfold increase, which is, you know, you would say, great. If you looked at that, just that statistics, great. You know, they're doing great. When you when you put that against the fact that uh, the rest of America has seen uh, little to no growth and even has fallen further behind with the stagnant wages, and, and that, I think, is really evident of a problem. As an individual, what motivated you to get involved in this action? I think the most um, immediate catalyst was being inspired by the Occupy Wall Street protesters, by the sacrifices that they're making to to stand out there and to uh, be the catalyst for a national movement to make this a moment of change that is comparable with the civil rights movement, uh, the Vietnam War protests, and the labor union movements of the early 20th century. Um, so being inspired by those people, um, but that's, that's not where um, I started being politically involved just being more aware of what's happening in government, how the voice of the people is not heard. Corporate influence has a disproportionate impact on the decisions that are made. I, I read a lot of news. I just feel like you're either part of uh, the problem or part of the solution, and I want to be part of the solution. One complaint that I did hear about Sunday night's meeting was a lack of socioeconomic diversity, or as another person put it, that it was a bunch of middle-class white kids. Did you feel like that was the case? Um, I'm not sure where you heard that. I, I wouldn't really say that is accurate. There, there were people of color there. There were people of color that got up and spoke. Um, there were people who got up who were disabled on disability. There were on a, a lot of unemployed people there. So I, I wouldn't really say that that's, that's accurate. I'm not going to say that the, the people who attended last night are a complete cross section of our community, but, um, you know, we are, we completely encourage diversity. We don't want this to be labeled as a, a hippie college student movement. I know that that's, that's an easy label to apply, but it, it's not true. Um, the principles of, of what we're talking about here of economic injustice affect the 99% of America. 
and uh, that that's a wide swath of people from from a wide variety of, of backgrounds. We want them all to come out. No one's excluded. If people wanted to become active in Occupy Raleigh, what are their next steps? Um, please attend our, our next assembly, our second general assembly. We welcome everyone there. Um, we'd love to have you. It is next Sunday, October 9th, 5 p.m., Moore Square. We have uh, a tentative rally date, main protest date of Saturday, October 15th at 11 a.m., and uh, that, that will be confirmed soon. Kind of to close, what would success look like? <laughs> um, that's a that's a great question, um, and I, I do want to preface it by saying that um, I think other people in this movement might answer it differently, so I'm kind of speaking from, from myself right now. Number one, I, I would measure success by getting a, a large part of this community engaged, having large turnouts not only for the the General Assembly, Assembly next Sunday night, but specifically for the, the main protest rally uh, the following Saturday in almost two weeks. So having a large part of the community engaged is one measure of success um, to, to be more educated about what's going on with economic inequality in America and participating in their democracy. I think um, a second sign of success would be uh, recognition uh, of us by our elected representatives and responses to our demands, what we put forward, as far as the things we'd like to see changed. Stacy would be happy to share information or verify data with you over email at OccupyRaleigh at gmail.com. Occupy Raleigh is currently using a Facebook group for their main communication hub. For more resources on tracking Occupy events going on around the country, one resource is the website www.occupytogether.org. For On the Triangle, I'm Jacob Downey. Sound bites on Eye on the Triangle. Opinions from around NC State and the rest of the Triangle. Uh, did you know there's a Raleigh City election on Tuesday the 11th? No. Do you plan to vote on it? Now that you told me. I would, except I am not a resident here in Raleigh. I am, I am registered to vote in Charlotte, North Carolina. I knew, and I'm, I'm voting. But I would vote otherwise. And what about you? Yeah, I knew I am voting. The Raleigh city election is coming soon on Tuesday, October the 11th. I went around the NC State campus last Friday to hear what people had to say about participating in the election. I'm Paulina Rajunas. I'm an FYC, so I'm a freshman. I'm not going to vote if I don't know what I'm voting on, and I'm not going to know what I'm voting on until I do the research to let myself feel satisfied with my own knowledge of the situation. I don't think that they affect me as much as other things like homework and studying. So if I was going to spend my time, I would spend it on homework and studying as opposed to researching proper politics and the actual candidates as opposed to what they say that they're going to do because oftentimes what they say isn't what they're actually going to do and what they tell the public is more of a general overview of what they think they stand for and when they get into office they'll probably do something a lot different. I vote in every election. I voted 
ever since I could vote. I think local elections are even more important because the people that are elected to those offices, their policies and their thoughts and their philosophies will directly affect you. Federal government, yes, it is important, but local elections are even more important because it's the grassroots. So whatever they feel, you're going to feel it. it is important for people to get out to vote, especially with local elections, because I think a lot of times they are overlooked, but I also feel that they are not necessarily more important than federal elections. But as opposed to a trickle-down effect from the federal, I think it goes from local up to federal, so the changes that you make locally influence your local area, and then it works out from there up to the federal level. So don't forget to vote on the 11th. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Jay Tomlin, 88.1 WKNC. Not bad for a first try. Thanks, Jay Tomlin, for your contribution this week. And that is all for our show. I want to thank all of our contributors, the candidates who uh, allowed us to interview them, and you, the listener. I hope you will tune in next week when we will have live coverage of the election and election results from 7 to 9 p.m. Good night, and don't forget to vote.